What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay and Mr. D is away this week, having a well-earned vacation. He's gone camping, which is, I'm reliably informed, something that people do for fun. No, really, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Rather than waffle on alone this week, I thought I would invite a guest to keep me company and hold my hand for the next 45 minutes or so. And it's not the first time she's been on the show. She's popped in for a cameo in the past, but today she's here for the whole shebang. So please welcome gardener, actor, YouTuber, writer, and my lady life partner, better half, Claire Burgess. Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello, my dear. How are you today? No kissing. No kissing. No. No. Keep it professional. <laughs> Keep it professional and above yes. the waist. Uh, I've dragged you away from your edits. This is normally the time of the day when you're editing your book. Well, actually, now is normally the time where I make dinner. At the moment, <laughs> <laughs> at the moment um, I, I edit first thing in the morning before I go to work. So, um, oh, okay. yes, I do sort of half an hour from 8 till about 8.30, because um, then at 8.30 I need to make my lunch and then be out the door at quarter to nine to go to work. So at the moment, that's the time that I do it, because I'm far too knackered when I get home from work to you do were, it. You were doing bits in the afternoon, weren't you? Um, did I dream it? I think you dreamt it. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's shown how much. <laughs> so, Already got off to a good start. Some, sometimes <laughs> I do, but it, it depends. If it's the weekend, then... Yes, yes, I will. But Monday to Friday, I will edit um, and go through stuff first thing in the morning. See, I don't see that because I'm writing down here. Exactly. We're both early birds, aren't yes, we? Yes, yes. You know, like to fresh mind yes. in the morning. Okay, cool. Uh, well, it's kind of appropriate that you're on the podcast today because our guest is the other half of someone mm. we've already had on the show. And today's special guest is Adam Simcox, who is author of The Dying Squad. Now, his, his partner, Kirsty Eyre, who wrote the book Cowgirl, first appeared on episode 248. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. That was the comedy women in print episode as well. Uh, Adam is a London-based filmmaker who shot commercials and music videos for Britpop veterans. He's written and directed three feature films, the first of which was sold to Netflix, and now... He's written a novel. The Dying Squad is Adam's debut novel and the first in a series published by Gollantz. And we discuss writing for the screen and novels, mood boards, writing to music, commissioning reader reports, self-belief, writing with your significant other. Mm -hmm. We might talk about that later. Mm -hmm. And top tips for book trailers. So let's jump in and listen to my conversation with him now. Adam Simcox, welcome to the Bestseller Experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm very well, thanks, Mark. Thank you for having me. I'm properly excited. Good, good, good. I'm excited too. This is very exciting because you're not the first member of your household to be on the podcast, are you? 
I'm not. I'm not. My wife really cheap shotted me and got in there first <laughs> about 18 months ago. Cursed the air. Yeah. She was yeah. Uh, she was a big comedy and print winner. And so, yeah, she and she got she beat me to publication as well, the cow. So it's really, really <laughs> that's episode two, four, eight listeners. If you want to hear the more successful uh, half of uh, this partnership. No, well, Adam, this is, is, is fantastic to speak to you because we're here to talk about your new book, The Dying Squad, your debut novel, The Dying Squad, which is uh, published by Golance, which just looks amazing. Um, give us give us the, the quick pricey on that. It's, it's such a great high concept. Uh, where, where did it all come from? No worries. Well, yeah, the, the quick one-line elevator pitch is the Dying Squad is about a police detective who has to solve his own murder. Um, so Joe Lazarus uh, storms a Lincolnshire farmhouse intent on taking down the drugs gang within it. Um, but instead of the drugs gang, he finds his own bleeding out body and a ghostly spirit guide called Daisy May. And Daisy May is there to recruit him to the Dying Squad, who are a spectral police force who solve crimes at their flesh and blood brethren cannot. So Joe reluctantly agrees to partner with Daisy May and faces threats from both the living and the dead uh, if he's going to solve the murder and find the killer before they kill again. Fantastic. Such a great high concept idea. And the first of three books, I understand. So there's more on the way. It is. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing the third as we speak. Excellent. Excellent. Now, whenever we have someone on here, debut novel, there's always a temptation to say, "Yay, overnight success," but it's it's not the case, is it, Adam? This has been a you've 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 taken you've taken a, a, a long road to publication, as many authors have, and I want to talk about the the steps you've taken to get this deal because there's the Curtis Brown course, there's an editorial report, there's all sorts of stuff. But you you've start you you are a filmmaker as well. You've you, you've been started out as a filmmaker. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I guess I'd describe it as a leisurely stroll barefoot over broken glass for about <laughs> 20 years to get to this point. So I am a filmmaker originally. Um, I wrote and directed uh, four features before I started writing novels. And then that's that's what I do as a day job now in terms of more commercial work and corporate work. Um, but and I've, I've had like, I guess, micro micro film success. So the the first film sold to Netflix. But this was before Netflix was Netflix. I mean, it was like really early days. Like I hadn't heard of them when it sold. And I think right. if you got a if you got a good cat video at this point with a beginning, middle, and end, <laughs> you'd have probably been able to sell it into Netflix when my first film got taken on. Um, but it was, you know, I, it, it was a real passion of mine. Like each one got a little bit bigger, I guess, in scale. And then the fourth one, Kid Gloves, was kind of the first one I was I was truly happy with, and that. I had a good festival run, run. It got well reviewed, and it won a few awards. And that kind of took me to a bit of a, a crossroads on it, really, because I was making these films myself. You know, I was I was self funding them, getting some crowdfunding, but mostly self funding. And I realised to be able to kind of go to the level that I really aspire to be at, I had to change tack. So I was making a documentary uh, on series on inspirational figures, and I, I interviewed this one guy who had applied to be on this mission to go to Mars. Uh, but it was a one-way mission. That was a thing. So it was this it was this uh, venture capital company that were doing, I think it's called Mars One or something like that. They've, they've since gone bust. But um, the <laughs> idea was to send a crew to Mars. And then that was it. You know, the, the cost of Mars is getting back. 
So this was, they would stay there, they would do research, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I thought it was a fascinating concept and it'd be, make a great film, but it's not one I could ever do, you know, in the kind of budgets I was talking about. So I had a bash at writing a novel. It took me about 18 months. It turned out okay. Uh, I worked with uh, an agent for a little bit on it. That didn't really pan out. Um, but then I wrote a second novel and that's the one that I work with uh, on the Curtis Brown creative course. Right. Excellent. Uh, and that was, that was a six month uh, selective course with 15 other people. Um, and like to me, like that was, that was one of the points of me originally moving to London, doing a course like that. It was kind of, you know, to get to central London, 15 people you don't know, kind of justify your existence a little bit you know, with each, with each kind of lesson and like fight your corner about and learn and adapt and learn how to edit and all those sort of things. Um, and so that was, I would say that was quite trans transformative in terms of how I wrote and where I, where I thought I could go with it all. You were already an established screenwriter by that point. So you, you, you know, you'd written stuff, you'd filmed stuff, which I always mm. say to people that that process on it on its own teaches you an awful lot. Uh, so what was it? What were the key lessons that you learned? The key differences, I guess, between writing your screenplays and, and writing a novel. Well, definitely the difference, certainly in terms of the way that I would write a, a screenplay was that it was more an instruction book for really for me because I knew I was going to be the one that made it and often shot it, it, it was almost kind of like a cookbook of the recipes and the ingredients that I knew I had to make. Whereas obviously when you're writing a novel, you know, the person you're writing for is making that film in their own head. So it's kind of got to be a lot more evocative. You've got to be, you know, you've got to throw in the odd description. It can't just all be, I'm not a massive one for, you know, sprawling descriptions, but you need to, to paint the scene, you know, place the tone and, give the viewers, give the reader something to work with. So I think that was the big difference was sort of you're enabling the person to make the film in their own head. Mm -hmm. I did, I took a lot from it. I mean, I took a lot from the filmmaking process. There were aspects that I was able to use. So for instance, if I'm making a film or a music video or anything like that, then I'll kind of create a mood board, first of all, to just kind of give the client or the actors or the artist or whatever, an idea of the tone and the look that I'm going for. So instead of doing that for the book, I actually created a couple of trailers, just kind of spec trailers, use royalty-free images, use royalty-free music. And they were kind of a really good touchstone that I could then refer back to if I was, felt I was getting lost with the tone. And music is also like a hugely important part of uh, writing to me and making films. So I'm, I think of like the second Dying Squad book, there were two bits I just were killing me. I couldn't get right. So I spliced two music tracks together. Like one of them was from the Heat High scene. I don't know if you remember that scene. Oh, Fantastic. yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. I wrote a lot of Robot Overlords to that. And oh, did you? Listeners won't notice, but behind Adam now is a, a Daft Punk poster as well. So Daft Punk's Tron soundtrack. Oh, man. That was a big influence from Robot Overlords as well. So, yeah, <sighs> that kind of electronica. Yeah, I know where you're coming that's from. A, that's a good influence to be. Yeah. And so I, I spliced that in another, another track together and just created a 23 minute score that I wrote to, well, I wrote to the beats of it. And I like, I was like, I'm not deviating from this score. Uh, and it worked, you know, it, it, it told me how to, to write it. And there was another one that was like, um, 
the end of it, I just couldn't get right. Couldn't get right. And the seven uh, score, which is like amazing film, stands up so well, that film. The bit where they're driving to the desert where they've got John Doe and like the tension builds and builds and builds. I thought that that's the track I need. So I made myself not right. And I, everywhere I went, I listened to that track. When I finally finished that scene, I listened to it over 800 times, which probably <laughs> earned Howard Shaw about 30p in terms of streaming <laughs> streaming revenue. But it, it really kind of sparked something in me. And the music, the music tells me how to write it a lot of the time, I find. That's it really, really interesting because um, I've, I've had to stop listening to music while I write recently. But uh, like Apple are doing this thing where they um, they do... The tr- they do compilations of the tracks you listen to the most over the last few years. And when I was writing Back to Reality, it was mostly um, Pixar soundtracks and La La Land, you know, because it was set in mm-hmm. a um, But certainly for, for writing The End of Magic, there was a lot of Jeremy Saul's score for um, Skyrim. Uh, ah, okay, that's a great yeah. score, yeah. Yeah, so you, you, you can kind of, I guess you must have, you know, uh, playlists that are the book for you, that, that will take you back to that moment. So was the music kind of rewiring your brain? Is that what you were using it to do? It was a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I do feel like your music will always tell you a narrative. And right from an early age, I would kind of listen to a track and kind of imagine my own story to it a lot of the time. And it's certainly like when I've been doing music videos, because I tend to kind of, if I'm doing a music video, I would I try to do like a short film out of it rather than just a performance video because that's what I feel kind of really interests me. So it's like a little short film. And that's, that's been, that was a great way of actually really getting, being able to write tight because you've got to tell a story in three minutes mm. with a music video and it's got to be a beginning, middle and end. And each shot has got to make you want to look, look at the next shot. I mean, it, like our attention spans are so screwed. I mean, you know, <laughs> you've got, you've got 30 seconds most of the time to keep yeah. someone, um, so that was that was a, that economy of scale in terms of how long you've got to get the the, the reader or the, the the viewer's attention kind of held held me in good stead too. Very good, excellent. So you're doing you're doing this Curtis Brown course, and mm-hmm. you're putting together a book that you think is ready to go out, but you don't do the usual thing of going straight out to agents. You you then commission a reader's report, an editorial report. Is that right? Well, it was actually a little bit a little bit more on that. So okay. I. I wrote, I wrote the, the second book and I, rightly or wrongly, I believed in this book so much. I thought there's no way they're not going to sign me off this book. There's no way <laughs> they're not going to sign me off this Mr. book. Mr. D will love that bit of self-belief. He really will. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a fine line between arrogance and uh, delusion and self-belief. <laughs> I find you need all three to get you through. Um, but I, I, I really strongly believed in it. And they and they did on the course, you know, they were they were kind of champions for me and they were really, uh, really helpful. And I did get some full manuscript requests uh, from Curtis Brown. But in the end, it didn't it didn't end up uh, getting taken on by an agent, which I, I'm not ashamed to say. I mean, it was one of the worst like bits of my life. I really couldn't believe <laughs> I hadn't got sold because self-belief is, is, is a great thing. And I, I would have given up a long time ago if I didn't have the, the vats of self-belief. But when the world doesn't quite go to the way you think it's going to go, then it can kind of throw everything a little bit. You're kind of, you're off your axes. 
And I, I, I just couldn't. I thought, man, I can't do a lot better than this, you know, because I thought it was it was really strong, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, it was a great lesson because it teaches you it doesn't really matter how good something is in terms of getting an agent selling a book. It's also got to be strongly commercial. Like they've got to be able to see that it fits into this market here. Because, you know, a big thing is always when you're submitting, it's like, where do you see this in the market? And I was submitting, I thought, oh man, like, I don't know. I mean, it was, I was lacking in comparisons to say, if you enjoyed the work of blah, 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 you will love this. And that was difficult. And I guess that was the first, probably should have been the first sign that oh, this might not actually be as easy as you think it's going to be. But I, di I didn't let it deter me. So I started writing something else straight after, which was, which was good and bad. I mean, in a way, I hated that third book that I wrote all throughout it because I resented the fact that it was like another spec book. It was a little bit like getting dump on, dumped on your, your wedding day and then going on a <laughs> Tinder date that same evening, <laughs> right, writing that book. <laughs> but I'm glad, that, I'm glad I did it because you need to kind of work it through your system. I got, I got, another, I got another couple of full manuscript requests, but ultimately no, no go. And which brings us to the Dying Squad. Sorry, sorry, listeners, it's, it's taken a while to get there, but it brings us to the Dying Squad. And the, the Dying Squad, I feel, was like a gift from somewhere because I, I genuinely, I just dreamt the first chapter. Just dreamt it one night, sat down the next day, wrote it down. Thought, oh, this is, this could be, could be decent. And despite it being a torturous, slow process from going to that point, from me starting to write it, to getting an agent, to signing with Galantz, was I think 10 and a half months. Wow. So it was really, it was really fast at the end. And when I sent, when I sent it out on, on the first day I sent out to submission, I, I got five full manuscript requests within like less than 24 hours. So it was obvious that there was like something in this that was kind of commercial and like they thought, you know, had potential. So I, at that point I thought, oh, maybe it'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was different about i mean you said you dreamt it but i'm i mean do you dream ideas a lot what 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 was different about this one to the other books the the unpublished books that came before i th I, th I think it's it's i mean it's a it's a decent concept that you can kind of communicate in a sentence you know detective mm -hmm. has to solve his own murder like it's yeah. pretty simple and it's communicable and like you want to know a few things I think based on off it you know like well how does he if he's dead uh what does that mean it kind of suggests a bigger world I guess and as a concept to sell you know it combines crime which is obviously like an enormous genre and urban fantasy I guess you'd call it which is also mm -hmm. massive as well so it potentially appeals to a, a few different readers right right but do you think I mean, the road to publication the, or the road to being inspired to write this book, the, yeah. the, the, the unpublished books that came before it, they kind of all feed mm. into that, don't they? You wouldn't have got there without, there wouldn't have been any triumph without the struggle is what I'm trying to say. De I think, definitely yeah? not. No, I yeah. mean, you, you can't, you, you kind of kid yourself that, you know, oh, I've always been a, you know, my writing hasn't got any better throughout, but clearly it does. You know, like I, I definitely as well, after the second, the disappointment of the second book, I, I kind of conditioned myself, so right, I'm going to write a book a year till I get an agent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with filmmaking, I, I have quite a lot of time free in the week compared to 
anyone else doing a nine to five, you know, it isn't a nine to five profession. So I, I felt like it would have been wasting the opportunity I had and that other people don't have if I can't write a book a year, you know, I, mm. I can definitely do that. I've commit conditioned myself to do that. So I think by the time it got to the dying squad, you know, I was pretty tight on structure. You know, it was a story that made sense. I could finish it well. Um, yeah, I think the elements were in place, I guess. Excellent. And you target yourself, I read somewhere you target yourself with the daily word count, don't you? You mm. are a right everyday kind of guy. Tell, tell us about that. I'm, I, because I, you know, if I'm doing the school run or, you know, there and back, I, I've got like six hours to play with. So in my, in my opinion, everyone's different, but for, for me personally, there's no excuse not to do between 1500 and 2000 words in that time. Like I know I can write quickly. Some days are better than others. I'm sure you know yourself. Some days you nail it in two hours. Some days it's like every word is being plucked out of you with a blunt spoon. But I know, I know in that time, you know, I can, I can hit that target. And to, I think everyone's different. To me, it's important to, to hit the targets, not because I've got a date in mind that I'm trying to finish it, just because that's how my brain works. I'm a, I'm a list guy and I'm a deadline guy. I need, I need that sort of thing. Right. Okay. Excellent. So lists, have you got a list of books beyond uh, this trilogy? Have you got a list of other things that you want to achieve? Do you set goals in that way? I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to get into screenwriting as well. I'd love to, I'd love to have something on the, the big screen like that you have yourself. I've, I've not ruled out oh, quite like a crack at directing one of them at some point in the future. That was going to be my last question, actually. <laughs> and will you be up for directing the Netflix series of The Dying Squad? So, yeah, you would be, you would be up for that. It, if they really, really twisted my arm, I could be probably be. <laughs> Probably <laughs> persuaded to do it. There, 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 there is something that I'm working on past the dying squad uh, that was always kind of like a rough idea I had if I was going to do another film. I'd love to have a crack at that. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of a little bit less massive in scale than the dying squad. Um, I'd love to have a crack at that, but it, we'll see. It, it'll be one of those things that if it happens, it would be an amazing opportunity. But we shall see. Wouldn't it be more fun to have someone else direct the dying squad and you can stand there on set going? <sighs> <laughs> so you, you, you pick, you're picking that lens. God, that's a bold choice. Bold choice. And you've got... Because directors got, love got, that. that. <laughs> then, I, I imagine, I imagine I would be the most popular guy on set if I just kind of stood behind the DP going, oh, that's a, that's a brave angle to go with. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone with that, but bravo. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I'm, I know how annoying that is when I'm on set and doing something. Uh, so I will not be doing that. Okay. I will be, I will stand very quietly in the corner and happily have people bring me coffees all day. I'll set up for that. <laughs> and um having spoken to Kirsty, Kirsty, mm. we if I recall, requires silence to write. You know, she 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 gets into the zone, whereas you're playing loud music. So does this does this mean there won't be a day when you two co-write a, a massive blockbuster together oh. is is that is that going to happen can we look forward to I, that I, th I think it's it depends on how much you'd want to get divorced i think if we decided that we wanted to get divorced we, <laughs> we have worked together before and like on the we, we got together because she was she'd written a play which i was had a, had a small part acting in but i also i was making a film for it so that's kind of how we got to know each other 
So we're lucky in some ways. So like we have uh, our relationship right from the start has been we critique each other's work. Mm. And we're kind of good with that. I mean, she would say that she is much, much better at being critiqued than I am. And she's 100% right. 100% right. She is definitely, definitely better at taking criticism than I am. But we do, we do, in all seriousness, like it is a, a really great resource that we have of each other being able to kind of, she's always the first person that, that reads anything I write, always. Um, in terms of working together, we did a short film together and it was, it was a brutal experience. It was, I mean, I, it, it was, it was, you know, it was terrible. Uh, and then we did do a web series together, which was better, but it's still, it's too much. It's too much. I, I'm sure some couples could, could do it. We are not one of those couples. I, I will settle for being lucky enough to have someone that's, you know, a brilliant editor and like she's got an editor's eye and can like say, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. It's a, it's a hell of a resource to have. Mm. This is uh, me and Mr. D agreed never to write again for the sake of our friendship. You know, so that's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's, sens- it's sensible. It's sensible. <laughs> I yeah, know where yeah. you're coming from. Now, you produced a fantastic trailer uh, for The Dying Squad. Now, you talked, is that one that you put together from uh, what was it, mm. free online resources and stuff like that? Where did you find yeah. that stuff? Because it's, it's something we're asked about a lot in the best okay. experiment group on Facebook and where do we find these things? How do we, how do we put these things together and any top tips for making an author trailer? No worries. Yeah. Well, in terms of where I got almost all of those images from, it was a website called video blocks, which is a subscription site. I think it's about 60 pounds a year, yeah. uh, which for me is like massively justifiable because you know, it's my profession. The music was more expensive because the music's really good. And that was from Musicbed, who charge more. I think that's about £40 a song. But you can get cheaper ones than that. I think Audio Audio Jungle are a good one. They do like, you can get something for like $15, $16 on there. Um, in terms of making it, I mean, shorter is better every, every time. I would say both those trailers I did were about right on the limit of how long you'd want it to be. Um, and the second one was a little bit longer, but it was different because it had text on the screen because it had like quotes from people and stuff. Mm. Uh, so as long as it, it goes back to the, I guess the music videos is like each shot should make you want to look at what's the next shot. And I think what you'd be going for is you're not obviously not going to be able to replicate your book with these trailers. You just want to try and get the tone right. You want to mm. get the atmosphere right of the book. Um, so if it's a romantic comedy, there's not much point in having kind of like a pulsing dramatic score. You know, you want a little, <laughs> something a little bit lighter, probably. But yeah, I think that's what you're looking at. You're just trying to get across the tone. And if you've got like blurbs from people or good reviews, definitely put those on. But don't make it more than a minute. Excellent. Into a minute. Top tip, top tip. We, um, we'll put links to uh, Adam's uh, trailer in the show notes, folks, so you can check that out. Well, Adam, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. The Dying Squad, folks, is out now, so go grab your copy. Uh, and maybe one day, maybe one day, it would be just marvellous just to get both you and Kirsty on uh, the podcast uh, and and see if you can survive that. Uh. <laughs> that would be fine. That would be fine. I, I, she would she would get annoyed because I would try and talk over her. But that, apart from that, it would be absolutely fine. Fine. And can I, can I just say, like, I've been listening to this show from the start. Uh, uh, there were a lot of tough times where I imagined one day that I would be on it. So today was a really big deal. Thank you.
Oh, our absolute pleasure, Adam. And thank you so much for coming on and speak to you again soon. Cheers. Thank you, Mark. Bye. Ah, Adam talked about self-belief there, mm. which is something I know you have a lot of in abundance, don't you? <laughs> no, uh, well, it depends. It depends <laughs> what I'm doing. If it's something that I'm really comfortable with, um, so ringing or something to do with the garden, then I am, yes, of course I could do this. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to writing a novel, I was like, can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. This is just, it was completely and utterly out of my comfort zone. And it was only because you said to me, go on, you can do this, you know. And when I first, when I wrote the first draft, I was just, and I'd finished it and I was just like, well, actually, I, I, I did do it. And mm. then I sort of, I cried because I was so oh. emotional. I was like, I finished. I came down, do you remember? I came <laughs> I down do, here. I do remember that, yeah. And you're like, why are you crying? I've just finished my book, which was really quite weird. Um, and I don't cry anything really. Um, so I do. Cry oh, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and once I'd I'd done the first draft, I actually thought, actually, yeah, maybe I can do this. It could be crap. And I kept saying to you, it's going to be absolute rubbish. I know it's going to be rubbish. Um, and you were like. It most probably won't be, and <laughs> and it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No. Definitely wasn't. You know, like any first draft, I think it. You know, there's a room for improvement. Oh yeah, I've just done a very very scrappy first draft of a novel, so you know that's. Uh, yeah, we all do. I, I know we've had one or two naysayers on that who get it right first time, but they're outliers. And mm. uh, but yeah, no, it's um. So you're on what the third draft now? I think so. I've got about a couple of dozen, maybe three dozen. Um, notes left to do and then I will give it back to you but at the moment they're all really quite small ones Mm -hmm. there's there's nothing to sort of a a huge change so um, yeah sometimes when I I'll do them and then I'll come across a note that you've written and I'm like no I, I I can't (laughs) <laughs> I just can't figure out how to do it. So I leave that one. Then I go to work. I mean, gosh, if the if my clients knew what was going through my brain, <laughs> I mean, I would never work again. It's um I'm sort of gardening with my music on and and I'm thinking, okay, well yeah. And then when I was trying to figure out it's a who done it. So, you know, with a murder, with, with a murder. Um, and when I was thinking about how a person could get murdered <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, well, they could do that. And then they could, oh, they could bash, they, they could do this. And you know, if if the police ever went through my go Google search, <laughs> they would be horrified. Um, so I'm not quite sure how I would explain it. But, um, yeah, the things that if, if I can't there's there's no point if you've got a note there's no point slogging through it if you're not in the right frame of mind to do it sometimes it's it's like when you were doing an exam you go I'll leave that question and I'll go on to other ones Mm. and you sort out other ones and then you'll come back to that one later or the following day or whatever and then you'll go okay I know how to sort that one out and then that's that's how I do it is that wrong no, no, there's no wrong. There's no, no. Oh, you know, right or wrong. Uh, no, that sounds perfectly logical. I mean, mm. I, I do the, I do the same thing. I, I talk about the edit triage, which is where you get 
when you get your document back with all the notes. Oh, yeah, all the easy ones first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then just think about the bigger picture, you know, just think about what, what yeah, what's what are the easy fixes, what are the ones that are going to create yeah. big shifts. And I mean, yours structurally was very, very solid. Um, so there weren't any big structural changes. No, 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 no. I mean, we're, actually, when, when I was first writing it, and that that bit at the very beginning wasn't in there. And I said to you, because we have these little discussions when um, we're sort of having a cup of tea or in the kitchen. And I said to you, so if I put this bit at the very beginning, da 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 da, and then you said yes, and then that will grab everybody's attention. And and I wasn't sure whether I could do that, whether it was the right thing to do. Or, or not, but having spoken to you and you said, yes, it is. And I was like, because I, I started to write this after we saw Knives Out at the cinema the first time. That was oh, yeah. that was the thing that I thought, actually, I can write one. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. <laughs> and I've always loved Columbo. And when you watch Columbo, you know who's going to die. You know who's the murderer right from the outset. And yeah. it's actually watching Columbo figure it all out and I thought well I don't want I don't want you to know who's done it but I want you to know who's died and then you can try and figure it you know work it through well the other thing Columbo does so well is character yes I mean he's a brilliant character and the the guest murderer or whatever is always a good character as well Mm. and your stuff is very good on character too so um yeah no cool now what made you after you came out of Knives Out you thought I'm gonna write a book obviously writing a book is a big task for anyone you did the 200 word a day I mean Adam was talking about writing habits how he targets himself every Mm. day and 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 is a a list person as well I know you oh I have to write lists otherwise I forget things yeah so uh what did the 200 day thing work oh blimey yeah I I I didn't start it on the 1st of January I started it on the 2nd of January um because you were nagging me on the 1st of January and I was not nag Um, (laughs) and um, I had lots to do on that and I was thinking no and I decided that I would start on the second and that 200 words a day actually was was very useful Um, I don't think I ever wrote 200 words it was always an awful lot more Mm -hmm. Um, and it was to write 200 words because I'd been thinking about it what was going to happen next the day before, when I came to write it, I was like, okay, right, this is what, okay, this is it. So it was already in my brain as to what was going to happen to the story. So I so you had it all outlined. No, anything no, I had, I had no, no, you know, like you have with your little Whiteboards whiteboard or, anything, yeah. or anything. No, it was all up in my brain. Which I suppose is a, is is how it stayed in there. I have no idea. Quite crowded in there, isn't it's it? It's incredibly crowded mm. in there. There's all sorts going around in which my brain. Which is why you write lists. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but when when you're weeding in the cold or pruning or something, and you're it always goes through in in your brain. And I I was just constantly thinking about it when I was gardening, murdering people, murdering people. Wow. You know, my hori hori knife, you know. <laughs> this is little thing that is. Um so yeah, it was all the next step was was in my brain. 
in your in brain. my brain in my brain in my brain excellent okay and lists i mm. mean we joke about your list because you when you go out for the day you leave us a list i have of to otherwise to do. you don't do anything no that's not fair <laughs> We do things. We just like to know what needs to be done. Yes. And you are the project manager of this I house. I am. Oh, yes. So, uh, and we are, but you're humble workers. Of course you are. Neil yeah. before me. <laughs> <laughs> Later, darling. Um, uh, yeah, so you like, did you use lists when you were writing? Were you listing characters or ideas or anything like that? Or, um, or? I, I, I think they're still upstairs, actually. I had lots of little pieces of paper, which I would scribble things on and I would write down how the, I don't want to give too much away, um, you know, how the murder happened, how the body got hidden before this certain person walked past right, and, yeah, and yeah. all of that. And and then that person would go and evidence would be cleared up and, and back. And then as I was going through as I was writing it, and then I was thinking of something, and I thought, oh, I need to put... Don't, sorry. Don't bang the table. Oh, sorry, don't bang the, the table. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and then I was thinking, oh, I need to put a little bit of information in there earlier on so that, like, a, a wet path, because, you know, right, yeah, a, yeah. a hose is used to, mm -hmm. to clear up any blood, and I thought, oh, I... <laughs> I thought, I've got to put in when one character arrives, she goes, it didn't rain last night. Why is the path all wet? And just a little niggle in there, which as you're reading it, you go, it's like a throwaway line. But it's only when you get later on, you go, oh, I, well, I hope people go. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, it was it was full of those. And also I, I drew a plan of the allotment plot allotment site right yes and i that. put where you know where it would be and how everybody's plot was and where the gate was and and all of that and and who was on what plot so that as i was coming and i had little sticky notes with people's names on so if they were on the site then i would stick them on the bottom of the computer there oh yeah where the, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's like they're there and then oh no they won't be there today because they don't come down during the week so they would be put to one side right. so yeah and that's that's how i would do it so i would know who was who was there oh very good yeah oh, yeah. I didn't know you did that. yeah i did that oh, yeah. Cool, cool, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. um adam says he writes to music whereas his partner kirsty prefers silence can you write to music? No, no. I, it has to be quiet. Yeah. I, otherwise, I can't go, because otherwise I sing along to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I, I have to be I have to be upstairs and I have to be on the computer. And the door isn't closed. It's kind of pushed to. Mm. Um, and bless him, Kai always knocks on the door anyway. Um <laughs> And and it has to be quiet, and I, I that I can't can, have. Music. Can just explain. Kai is our daughter's boyfriend yes. who lives with us. This isn't some lodger that we have. No, so no, no, okay, no, yeah. no. Um, okay. Now we've had writing couples. Mm. Uh, I mean, Adam said that he and Kirsty, for the sake of their marriage, uh, won't be writing together. But we've had because we had Josie Lloyd on before, who writes very successfully with her husband Emily Reese. Right. Do you think we'll ever write anything? together or will we drive each other i i don't think so because i think we write completely different genres yeah um and i wouldn't know where to start we you write about what you know and what you find interesting and you wouldn't 
find anything to do with allotments interesting. Or I like gardening. your book though. Well, I know you do. I know you do. But no, I don't. I. I it's very good. Lo- oh, thank you. <laughs> um, um, I. I don't think so. I mean, it would be nice to. I mean, we've sort of when I was first writing plays, and yes. you, you were in the plays, and I wrote roles specifically for you. Yeah. There was a collaboration there, yes, wasn't there? there because was. you would tell me if stuff didn't make sense, and, yes. and if it was if it sounded like a bloke writing a woman, yeah, you know. So you pull me up on stuff there, yeah. I'm usually tall boy, yeah, yeah, and the other stuff as well, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we've sort of done that, yeah, but a long time ago. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, it would be, it might be nice to. I'm sure I could write a cozy murder mystery. <laughs> Anyway, not um, yet. I've got too much to write. Yes, I mean, yeah, and I've still got another. Whilst. Once this one's done, I've got another two, and I've got in my brain another two. Well, yeah, I want you. You told me to do a trilogy. Oh, okay, so. I thought, and then you had another one lined up. I didn't oh, know you had oh, three. No, yeah, it, well, yeah. There's, oh, there's, okay. there's, nice. there's two in my head. In my head. <laughs> And and so I know the basic outline of the second one and the third one, and I know how it's gonna pan out. Okay, um, Adam says that Kirsty reads what he writes, and she's a very good critique and gives him very good notes. You you wouldn't do that with mine, would you? A play, yes, because it's short. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell people about your reading habits, Claire. Um. Well, I get up very early. Which one? This one or that one? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I get up very early in the morning and I work incredibly hard. And I'm she usually does. very knackered when... Am I allowed to say that word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Very, very knackered. You won't have me on again. Nope. When I When I get home from work and then obviously I have um, dinner to do and uh, chickens to put to bed and... Um, <laughs> bath to have and things like that or a bath and and things like that so um i'm usually asleep or nearly asleep by about nine o'clock in the evening Mm. so um to to read a novel or a book actually takes me a very long time because i don't have time during the day to sit down and and read no you you read novels on holiday don't you yes and we haven't had a proper holiday for about two and a half three Three years years. so (laughs) no so i i don't and and i to i can justify sitting down by a pool reading a book that time i can justify otherwise if i'm at home i can't justify it at home because there's always something to do yes you know so Mm. it's yeah, I've got cake to make or, you know, Ooh, yeah. something. You Can't know? get in the way of that. So it's, um, <laughs> I, that's the only time I can read a book. No, fair enough. That's Sorry. okay. No, that's fine. I mean, you did read Back to Reality, didn't I you? I did, yes. Yeah. It did take me a while. It did take you a while. It took me yeah, a while. Got there in the end. But I did get there in the end. Um, so, yes. And I do most of my major major writing when it's not gardening season because mm. i can't do it when it's gardening season because there's too much to do out in the garden but it's interesting you've started editing recently even though it's high of summer yeah now. but that's a short thing to do yeah it's it's easy you know it we're well, not saying it's easy but it's it's an it's an easier thing to do than s- sit down and and get yeah focused yeah so maybe the the pattern is you write in the winter yeah and then edit, edit in, in the, the summer. summer. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's 
that seems to be that works at the moment. Yeah, that does work. Yeah, and I read and edit your books. You do for free. I know because uh, you're so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. That probably we should probably wrap that up there. Well, we have. I hope you found that useful, yes. listeners. Um, a normal service will be resumed when uh, Mr. D returns from camping, presuming the bears haven't got him or mm. anything like that. Uh, look, if you want to get in touch, drop us a line. Uh, drop us a line at bestsellerexperiment.com. If you go to the website, there's a contact tab. We read every email. Find us on social media, on Facebook with Bestseller Experiment, on Twitter and Instagram, we are at bestsellerxp. A big thank you to Adam for speaking to us today. Um, and a big thank you to you for listening. And the biggest thanks of all, as always, to the people who keep this podcast going, to our patrons, <laughs> not you, to our, to our patrons and academates on the Bestseller Academy and to everyone who listens to this podcast. And yes, I suppose. Thank you. Thank you oh. for standing in as oh. a guest this week. It's all right, my darling. Uh, thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> and uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Until next week, it's goodbye from... Claire Burgess, bye-bye. And it's goodbye from Mark. I'm Mark one this week. I am, I am. Bye. Bye.